0: hey good evening good to see everybody can i uh, have you turn with me in your bibles to first peter four although i'm not sure why but i'll tell you that in a moment okay we've uh, actually we're in first peter and uh, we got as far as chapter 10 uh, excuse me chapter 4 verse 10 and we used it as kind of a springboard to launch us into a into a uh, uh, a study on the gifts of the Holy Spirit, uh, because verse 10 reads, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So Peter talks about spiritual gifts and uh, tells us that we have received a gift, all of us, and we are to use it Uh We've already pointed out how Paul the Apostle said that the gifts of the Spirit uh, overall uh, are vital to the health and function of the local church. That's why he said in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1, uh, that we must not be ignorant concerning these gifts. We must know what they are, how they function, and use them in the body of Christ because we're not going to be all that God wants us to be, mature, mature. Uh, working together in harmony, unity, and so on, if these gifts, I'm convinced, are not being used. Now, turn to 1 Corinthians 12, because when it comes to spiritual gifts, the most comprehensive list uh, comes out of 1 Corinthians 12, which we'll spend our time over the next few weeks, or at least the next couple. Uh, But starting in verse 8, we read, Where Paul said, now, for to one is given the word of wisdom. He's talking about how these gifts are given to different Christians. How, uh, for to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another, to another, the interpretation of tongues. Now, as we said last time, this is not an exhaustive list, list of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Because in verse 28 of 1 Corinthians 12, he adds a couple more. Helps and administrations. And then in Romans 12, verses 7 and 8, he adds um, a few more. Ministry, teaching, exhortation, giving, gift of leadership, gift of mercy. Now, Peter mentions two of the gifts here in chapter 4, verse 11, that Paul mentions in Romans 12, verses 6 to 8. They kind of overlap with a couple of these. They both mention the gift of speaking, which would include uh, any speaking done in ministry, which would be sharing the gospel. So evangelism uh, or a teaching, whether it's a pastor or Uh, just somebody teaching a small group or uh, you know children in the children's church uh, the gift of speaking and then the gift of ministry I think which is a broad gift but uh, it just simply means service now we're all called to be servants but um, it seems like some have a special calling I would think these then fall into the office of deacons uh, because um, diakonos, the word we get our word deacon from, is the same word here used in the Greek, servant. So some people have actually been called to be official servants in the church, again, deacons. Um, But the important thing to remember, guys, about spiritual gifts that we talked about last time, look, they're not toys to play with, they're tools to work with. They are definitely not given for our entertainment. Some churches seem to feel they are, okay? And it's all about using the gifts to entertain and uh, the body of Christ. No, that's not what they're there for. And they're not to be flaunted. Uh, these gifts are not to be flaunted uh, to show others how spiritual we are. They're our tools to build up the body of Christ. Now, last week in our study, uh, we studied the, the first two gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. The gift of the word of wisdom and the gift of the word of knowledge. Let me just, let me just review it quickly. Uh, gift of the word of wisdom is a supernatural wisdom given by the Holy Spirit in a time of need to answer, listen, a question, to solve a problem, to diffuse a crisis. It is not a reservoir of wisdom you can draw from any time you want, like you know Solomon had. Uh, this is a pearl of wisdom given by the Holy Spirit for the moment. And we talked about that in, in length last week, so you can go online. Listen to the study. The second one is the gift of the word of knowledge. Again, we're just reviewing. And this is a piece of information that is supernaturally revealed to you by the Holy Spirit. So it's um, a revelation of just a small piece of information. Uh, Oftentimes, the Spirit of God will reveal something to you about someone, maybe they're living in sin like God revealed to Nathan the prophet about David. A whole year had passed from when he committed adultery with Bathsheba and then had her husband murdered. All right? He thought he had gotten away with it. Of course, he was miserable that entire year. You can read Psalm what is it, 51 and Psalm 32. He was miserable, out of fellowship with God. And finally, God revealed speaks to Nathan, the prophet, and tells Nathan what is going on. And Nathan goes and confronts David. And that began the restoration process. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will reveal to you maybe a dirty little secret that somebody has. Something that is not right, a sin that they're involved in or have committed. Now, when the word of knowledge comes across your mind about this person, it's easy to begin to beat yourself up. It's easy to begin to think, what a terrible thought that was. I mean, it popped into my head. This person's having an affair, or this or that is going on. That's terrible that I would think such a thing. I must really be a lousy, carnal Christian that I would think such a terrible thing about this person. Well, let me just say this to you. Oftentimes we can be um, carnal, okay, uh, critical-hearted. We have to examine ourselves to see if that's just a critical hearted thought or if it's the Holy Spirit trying to communicate something to us. Um, The Lord has revealed uh, many times to my wife. She seems to have this gift pretty strongly in her life, the gift of the word of knowledge. Many years ago, we were not too old in ministry and we had a woman um, contact us. She had a lot of problems, you know, and tried to minister her over the phone, but then she started coming to the church. She was a very draining gal, had a lot of issues, a lot of problems. And, uh, her husband was very, very, she's a believer, but her husband was very mean, abusive, and he kind of kicked her out and she's pregnant and didn't really have any, so she's staying with a friend and, and all uh, we felt sorry for, her, you know, and, and, and began to help her out financially and, and, and other things. And, um, and like I said, took a, a lot of time, all right? And um, had this friend, I think she was, she had, this was not the gal she was living with, but she had this friend and she talked about this friend who was a nurse. And um, so during the course of this time, Cindy said to me one day, she said, you know, I, I believe the Lord has told me that she's not pregnant at all. She's not what she appears to be. Now, being the spiritual giant that I am, I rebuked my wife for being so mean. How could you be so mean? The pregnant woman needs our help, and you know you're you're saying she's a lie lying to us and so on and so forth, you know um, But you know she's has really good discernment and 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 the gifts really work through her, this one gift in particular. So I think the way it worked, I was going back a long time ago. Um, I think I was able to track down her one friend's who was a nurse her number and i called her and i said uh, i think joanne was the girl's name i said um hi hi i'm i'm uh, pastor Ballmeyer, and uh, just wanted to call you i've got a friend coming to our one of your friends coming to our church name is joanne oh yeah yeah joanne how's she doing well oh, she's doing okay you know we're trying to help her out she's pregnant again and her friends well, she's what well, she's pregnant we're trying to help her out you know because how could she be pregnant? She had a hysterectomy three years ago. So I sat this woman down and confronted her. and Sure enough, she was lying to us. She was lying, trying to get money. And uh, you know, some people they just prey on people who want to help you. And you know, they know churches are typical places where people can get help because you know we try to love people and so on. Um, the Lord over the years has revealed to me many times different things about uh stuff going on i begin to pray about it and he would confirm eventually it was true um you know a lot of times uh, over the years people would say uh, i'd like to have a meeting with you uh, this week okay and the lord would speak to my heart immediately tell me what it was about and i just start praying so that when the time came i was prayed up you know and all um One of the most dramatic stories that I've ever heard about the exercise exercise of this gift came from a book I read by my pastor, Chuck Smith, called Living Water. In fact, Chuck had shared this story from the pulpit, so I knew about it. I read it again in in that book. It's a great book if you want to know about gifts of the Spirit, uh, just practically speaking, Living Water. and uh, It was about a uh, a woman that uh, was going to Chuck's church. She's a Korean gal. And when uh, Korea was divided north and south after the end of, the World, of World War II, the way the, the, the dividing line fell, her brother was in North Korea. She was in South Korea. Of course, he was stuck there. She was able to come and go, okay? But she had come to America eventually and gotten saved, and she started going to Pastor Chuck's church in Costa Mesa, California. Well, she really had a burden to reconnect with her brother, But she hadn't talked to him in 40 years, 40 years. And so she came up one night after service and shared it with Pastor Chuck. And he said, well, let's pray. Let's pray and just ask the Lord to, you know, work it out. So they prayed together. And as they were praying, the Lord, you know, this way this gift works, sometimes it's just an impression in your heart, just words, you know. Sometimes it's almost a visual thing, as we said last time. And as they're praying, the Lord flashed across her mind a telephone number. She called that number the next day, and her brother answered the phone. You can see how powerful these gifts can be if used properly in the ministry of the local church. That's why I say these are very powerful tools, not toys, but tools to build the body of Christ and minister, and so on, all right? Well, that then brings us to the third gift mentioned by Paul in First Corinthians 12. He says, verse 9, to another faith by the same Spirit. Now, guys, I don't have to tell you how important faith is as a subject, how important it is to our Christianity. In fact, how important it is to the overall theme of the Bible. I mean, every book of the Bible talks about faith in some way, shape, or form. I mean, it's that important, from Genesis to Revelation. uh, You see the, the theme of faith woven throughout the Scripture. The Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. The Bible also says that salvation comes by grace through faith. It also says that once we are saved, the just shall live by faith. Faith is the spiritual umbilical cord, if I could put it that way, that connects us to God and allows His life and His power to flow from Him into our lives. It's kind of like a baby being kept alive in its mother's womb. It's the umbilical cord that brings life from the mother into the baby. Just like we are connected now to God through the Holy Spirit uh, and faith is the thing that connects us to God and allows everything that God is, his life, his power, uh, all of his promises, they all flow into our lives through our faith. Uh, there's a, of course, because it's so important, obviously you would realize the devil would want to attack it, right? I mean, if, that, if faith is that critical to our walk in relationship to God, of course, the devil would want to torpedo it, pervert it in some way that it wouldn't, we wouldn't understand true faith, and we would not benefit from the kind of faith the Bible talks about that we need to have as we walk with the Lord. There's a lot of weird concepts about faith floating around out there. One of the most destructive ones is that faith is a force. Maybe you've heard this. Faith is a force, like the Star Wars force. May the force be with you. Some of these churches, kind of like they're, it's kind of like what they're saying. But that faith is a force that we can use to get things from God. Look, faith is not a power that we can use to play God. (laughs) It's simple childlike trust in God, in his promises, his person, his power, and so on. Of course, the best definition of faith is the one that comes right out of the word. Hebrews 11, chapter 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, The evidence, some translations say the assurance of things not seen. The word substance, faith is the substance of things hoped for. The word substance there means title deed or ownership. Title deed or ownership. In other words, faith is believing that that you already own. Very important, that you already own what God has promised in his word even if you can't yet see it with your eyes or touch it with your hands, in other words, even if it's not in your possession at that moment, because God has promised it to you, then in your mind, faith says, it's already mine. I already own it, and I'm going to begin to praise God and thank Him for what He's going to do, because He's promised that I don't see yet. That's what honors God. That's the kind of faith that honors God. The kind of faith that not only believes it has excitement and anticipation because God promised it. He never lies. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know how he's going to bring the money in to pay the rent this month or buy groceries or whatever it might be. Cindy and I lived by faith for many years. And like I told you guys, money was really tight. But every uh, every um, Sunday morning... I'd write our offering check to the Lord, and I wouldn't even look at the bills until Monday morning. I never let what the you know how well, we can't give to God this week. We have all these bills. I you know what we operated under the principle: Lord, you get yours first. We're going to give to you, you know, our offering, and let you work. You've promised to take care of our, our physical needs, okay, food and shelter and all that stuff. I'm not going to worry about that. We're just going to write you our offering check and then let you worry about the rest. And, uh, you know, a lot of times I can only pay partial bill, but God always came through that. A lot of times we didn't know where this or that was coming from or money to fix the car. And we never asked people for money. That's, that's another thing. We just trusted God. And we thanked him for what he was going to do because we know he had promised to take care of us. We weren't being extravagant. Cars got to run for you to get, get to work and stuff. You're not, It's not an extravagance. Got to have food, right? These are not things that we were, you know, extravagant things. And God always came through. Um, so faith is believing you already own what God has promised in his word. Even if you can't yet see it with your eyes and touch it with your hands. Let me just say this, though. Make sure it is a clear promise from God's word, not wishful thinking on your part. Some people believe that faith is right in your own ticket with God, whatever you want, just believe. Well, that's not really true. If it's connected to a promise of God, you could take it to the bank. Now, as I've said many times before, sometimes God, he's so gracious, even if he hasn't promised you something specifically, he may give it to you. Like I told you before how, you know, we were very... Short one Christmas had no money, and um, forget about buying the kids. And they were little buying the kids Christmas presents. But we just came to the Lord and said, "Lord, you know you haven't promised us that you were going to provide Christmas gifts, okay? I mean, you haven't promised that. So I'm not leaning on a promise. I'm just making a request. If it's, would be, you know, you find it in your heart to provide a little." Money for gifts this year for the kids. Not not only did he do that, I remember looking back at the end of the month, all the bills had been paid. He gave us a wonderful Christmas. You know, God is so good to us. Sometimes he'll give you what you want, even though you don't need it. But I can't, but that's not something I can say, well, God, you told me, you promised. No, I can't do that with that kind of thing. But our God is very gracious, right? Let me just say this. True faith believes without seeing. And again, if you really believe, you're going to be enthusiastic about what God's going to do. Okay? I mean, that's part of it, isn't it? If you really, if, if a very dear friend, I'm talking a very dear friend, knew you were having um, car problems. In fact, your car was in the shop and you got the bill. And uh, you had to have a uh, $1,000 to go get it. And you didn't have anything. And a good friend found out about it and said, I heard about your car troubles. I'm going to mail you a check tomorrow to cover it. Think you'd be dancing around a little bit, thanking God, you know? I mean, you know, why aren't we dancing around when God promises us something that we haven't gotten yet? We dance around, a friend says, I'm going to mail you a check tomorrow, you know? Why, why? Yet, when it comes to God's promises, we, we doubt. We Well, okay, well, all right, Lord, are you? Okay, are you? And that kind of thing. Um, if you really believe God's going to take care of it, there should be that joy, that enthusiasm, that anticipation, and so on. Now, guys, practical everyday faith in God, the just-shall-live-by-faith kind of faith, is not what Paul was referring to when he talked about the gift of faith in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 9. Listen, the gift of faith is a supernatural infusion of faith given to you by the Holy Spirit that suddenly comes upon you and causes you to believe without a doubt. It's very interesting. Without a doubt that God is going to work a miracle, bring about a healing, provide a need, or work in some way as the situation calls for. I've experienced this. I can't tell you a lot, but I have experienced it. Where God just laid it on my heart, the faith that something was going to happen. You know, talk about whatever it might be. Somebody's going to get healed. Okay, I uh, prayed for them, and as I'm praying, God laid it on my heart, they're going to they're gonna be healed. And, and by the way, God will often couple the gift of faith with a miracle or a healing or something like that—it's just amazing. It's it's faith that comes upon you, and you you just have total confidence. There's no doubting. It's just it's a, it's an interesting feeling. You just know it's going to happen. That's that's a gift of faith. That is a gift of faith uh, that God just puts upon you for that moment. Uh, again, it's a special temporary supernatural giving of faith by the holy spirit that allows you to be a channel through which the power of god can flow again and that, that's a great book living water and so i was you know remember reading it and reminding myself of some of these stories that pastor chuck was uh, talked about but one of those that comes to mind with regard to this gift was uh, one day after church i think it was a midweek service so the service is over People are still milling about and, you know, standing in line to talk to Chuck or maybe get him to pray over them. And a family wheels up, the the grandchildren, who are, you know, adults, of course, wheel up their grandfather in this wheelchair. They get up to Chuck and they said, uh, Pastor Chuck, can you pray over our grandfather? Okay, so Chuck... Lays his hands on this gentleman and begins to pray over him. And then then he says, he ends the purpose. And in Jesus' name, rise up and walk. Grabs him by the arm, pulls him out of the wheelchair. The guy stands. He starts to walk, and then he starts to run around the sanctuary. And the family is going berserk with joy. And they said, We only wanted you to pray for his cold. He's got a cold. (laughs) Chuck said, I'm glad I didn't know that before I started praying. The next week, somebody in a wheelchair came up. Now, Chuck's son, Chuck Jr., who was an adult, was with his dad that evening. The next week, at a different service, I think they were, uh, Chuck was speaking at another church somewhere in the area. After the service, somebody else in a wheelchair came up and asked for prayer. And Chuck prayed over that person, and they wheeled themselves away from the pulpit. You know, they they just wheeled themselves out of the sanctuary. And Chuck Jr. looked at his dad and said, Dad, why didn't you lift that person up out of the wheelchair like he did last week? Because, son, God didn't give me the faith to do it. You know, this gift of faith is not something we can just conjure up. It is a gift the Holy Spirit gives us, for the moment, to work a miracle or a healing or something else incredible God wants to do. In fact, turn to Mark chapter 5. Let's look at some of the scriptures that deal with this gift. Mark 5, verse 21. Now, when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, that would be the other side of the Sea of Galilee, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood twelve years. Twelve years she was hemorrhaging, okay, and of course she was um, unclean and uh, couldn't enter the uh, temple area to worship God. Uh, the loss said any any woman during her monthly uh, cycle, uh, any flow of blood, uh, she was defiled until the flow of blood had stopped, and then she had like a two week or two-month period where she had to be cleansed i forgot exactly but i said this gal had been out of fellowship with god for 12 years about the same time that uh, jairus's daughter had been born and lived but uh verse verse 25 a certain woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from the from many physicians she had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment, for she said to herself, If only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Now, folks, to me, that sounds like the working of of the gift of faith. We can debate, well, okay, is she really showing, is this really the gift of faith or just faith that she had? Well, I don't know. But the language, she was so sure that if she just touched Jesus' garment, she'd be healed. To me, the Holy Spirit gave her a gift of faith for this healing. So she reaches out. Verse 29, Immediately the fountain of blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging you? And you say, who touched? Who hasn't touched you, Lord? We're in a crowd. People are bumping in the air and brushing up against you. Everyone's touching you. Okay. Verse 32, he looked around to see who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him. Now, she thought she had done something wrong. No, she had done something right. A whole crowd thronging Jesus, touching Jesus, received nothing from him. One woman reached out by faith and received a healing. We can come to church and brush elbows with Jesus as we hear the word and sing praises. But if we don't, and I'm not talking about the gift of faith now, I'm just talking about faith in general. But if we don't come looking to have an encounter with him, if we don't come with the anticipation and expectation. That he's going to meet me here and impart something. It might not be a physical healing. It might be. But he's going to impart something that's going to strengthen me. Maybe revive me. If I come to church with a dead heart expecting nothing, I'm going to leave here having received nothing. This woman reached out and she believed and she thought she had done something wrong. She said, who touched me? She kind of slipped into the crowd and was trying to hide. And uh, when she knew the jig was up, she came and she fell at his feet and said, Lord, I, I just believed that was me. You know, I believe if I touched you, I, I could be made well. And instead of rebuking her, he praises her. He said, woman, go your way. Your faith has healed you. Well, again, I believe the faith that the Holy Spirit gave to her for a healing. Turn to Acts 3. In Acts chapter 3, verse 1, we read, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. It would be nine in the morning. I think they met three times during the day for prayer, 9, 12, and 13. 3. I think that was how it went. Um, anyways, it's the, it's the third hour of the day. It's, not, it's 9 o'clock in the morning. and um, uh, Or it's the ninth hour, I should say. Uh, I'm sorry. The ninth hour will be 3 in the afternoon. So it's in the afternoon now. I'm thinking of Acts 2 when the crowd was there in the morning. Peter gave his sermon uh, at 9 a.m. But anyways, Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, three in the afternoon, and a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of those who entered the temple. So he was crippled. He couldn't work. Uh, he de- depended on the generosity of others to live, to survive. An alm was a gift to the, of money to the poor. In verse 4, and fixing his eyes on him with John, with John, Peter said to this man, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them, some money. And immediately, uh, in the, Peter said, verse 6, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones were received strength. Luke is writing this. Luke is a doctor. He actually uses medical terminology to describe this, the healing of this man's ankles uh, and his bones. Oh, and by the way, many centuries later, um, I forgot who the uh, well-known Christian it was who was in the presence of the Pope. And the Pope was counting a large offering that had been given to the church. And uh, the Pope said to this man, "Um, well, I guess we can't say any longer silver and gold, have we not, huh? And the gentleman said, yeah, neither can we say rise up and walk either. So, you know, but anyway, that's a different story, different message. Um, So this guy received strength. And verse 8, He, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. Now, here, and I want you to be sensitive to this. In the first story, God gave this woman a gift of faith to be healed. Here, He gives the one that's going to be doing the healing through the Holy Spirit the gift. Peter received the gift of faith to believe and heal this Lay man. Sometimes God gives us the gift of faith if we're going to be healed. Sometimes he might give somebody else a gift of faith who is going to be praying over you that you be healed. God does not don't put God in the box, okay? So all the people saw this guy walking and praising God. Verse ten, then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now as the lame man uh, who was healed, held to Peter and John. All the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So, you know, they see the guy who had been lame for all these years. And now he's walking and he's grabbing onto Peter, holding onto Peter. They assumed Peter had healed him. Well, kind of. Verse 16. Peter begins to say, look, don't look at me through any, as if through any holiness that I possess. This man stands before you whole. Um, verse 16, uh, and his name, through faith in his name, has, uh, talk about Jesus now, uh, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And I believe what Peter is saying is that The Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, had given Peter a gift of faith to believe that the Lord was going to work a miracle and heal this guy, or a healing. And um, Peter wants everyone to know, look, I didn't do this. In fact, it wasn't even my faith. It was the faith that came from the Lord through the Holy Spirit. And, of course, he did the work of healing this man, and so on. We've got one more, Acts 14. In Acts 14, starting with verse 8, it says, In uh, Lystra a certain man, without strength in his feet, was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking, Paul observing him intently, and seeing that he had faith to be healed, interesting, said with a loud voice, Stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. Now, guys, here you see three gifts of the Spirit in operation at the same time. The word of knowledge, which God gave to Paul to say that the Holy Spirit had given to this man the gift of faith, and then, of course, the healing that allowed him to walk, the gift of healing. So you have the gift of the word of knowledge, God revealing to Paul that he had given to this man a gift of faith, and then, of course, the healing, gift of healing, came as well Um, guys the gift of faith is given by the holy spirit and can't be conjured up by those who want to see god work a miracle or a healing that's why it's called a gift something we receive not something we manufacture or conjure up and again sometimes he will give it to the person he wants to heal sometimes he'll give it to the person he wants to use to bring about the healing But it's a gift from God. Everyday faith is something we choose to walk in. That's important. The just shall live by faith. But the gift of faith is something God chooses to give us when he wants to do something powerful or even supernatural. All right, the next gift, I'm not sure we'll be able to finish this one tonight, but the next gift, because this is important, The next gift Paul mentions in verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 12 is one of the most popular, I think it's the most popular, and at the same time the most controversial of all the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the gift of healing. Okay, Verse 9, To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit. Notice how he makes it plural. Gifts. He didn't say the gift of healing. He said the gift of the word of knowledge, the gift of faith. Here he makes it plural. Gifts of healing. Now hang on to that. We'll come back to it. Let me just start off by saying that all sickness can be traced back to Adam's sin in the Garden of Eden. Before the fall of man, there was no sickness and no death in the world. Both sickness and death entered the world at the time of the fall through Adam's Sin, we've talked about this, through Adam's sin. Eve sinned too, but Adam was the federal head. He was responsible, and when he sinned, the whole human race fell. And that set in motion, sin, set in motion, among other things, the laws of entropy, and in particular, the second law of thermodynamics, which says everything is now moving from order to disorder. Everything is wearing out. Growing old, moving from integration to disintegration, that kind of thing. We no sooner are born, we begin to grow up, and then we begin to grow old, and we die, because that's entropy that's taking place there, all right? God stated this law in um, Genesis 2, verse 17, when he said, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat... For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. But the Hebrew reads, dying you will surely die. In other words, the process of death, God, if you eat from the tree I have forbidden you to eat from, you will set in motion a process. They didn't know the entropy laws or second law of thermodynamics, of course. But you're going to set in motion negative consequences. You are going to begin to, you won't die instantly, but you will set in motion now a process known as death that will eventually take your life guys even though all sickness is ultimately the result of sin i don't believe that all sickness today is directly related to sin you remember in john 9 jesus came across a man who was born blind And the first thing his disciples asked him was, what caused this man to be born blind? Was it his sin or the sin of his parents? Now, the Jewish people believed, and they were taught by their rabbis, that all sickness, disease, deformity, handicaps was the result of sin. Okay? If a person was, of course, if a person Went blind after they, you know, had grown up and whatever. Well, they must have committed some sin that caused God to take their sight. What happens if they're born blind? It's a little harder to explain, right? So they believed that either their parents sinned in some way, causing God to judge the child. Like when David and Bathsheba committed adultery and she got pregnant and God killed the child. Remember? See how terrible? Why would God kill an innocent baby? Well, God wanted to take the baby home to be with him. He didn't want David and Bathsheba to enjoy this child since they conceived this child out of sin. Children are a blessing. Why would God allow, you know, and that was a unique situation. Not that God does that with everybody, thank God. But he took this child home so that David and Bathsheba would not enjoy this child. And that wasn't punishing the baby because the baby went right into the presence of God, where there's no sickness, no death, no hunger, no sorrow, no pain. You know, going right from you know being born and like you're you know a few days old, going right into God's presence. That's glory. That's not uh, that's not uh, uh, hurting the baby. Okay. But they believe that either the parents did something that caused the judgment of God to come upon the child, or that they believe in something called prenatal sin. Where the baby could actually sin in its mother's womb, causing it to be born blind or handicapped in some way. Now, this is what's called pushing a bad theology to an extreme. I mean, come on. I've heard people, instead of just saying, you know what, this doctrine I've clung to is stupid. And God has finally showed me it's stupid. I'm going like, to get rid of it. No, they hold it even tighter and have to, ju- have to weave this whole thing of justification where it's really bizarre, okay? And Jesus said, neither him nor his parents have sinned. Now, hang on to that. I want to come back to it and quote the full verse in a moment. But all sickness can be traced back to Adam's sin. But not everyone who is sick at any given time in the world is sick because they've sinned. Okay? We're all sinners. But if you're thinking, well, they did something uh, like Job's friends kept trying to tell him, well, don't tell us you haven't done something really horrible, Job, because if you you're sick, look at how look at how you look. Look at what God's allowed to happen to you. This is this is big sin stuff, man. You look terrible. God doesn't judge somebody like this unless they've really committed some heinous sin. That that's where they were coming from. All, we're all sinners but you know there are people who are sick through really no fault of their own I just believe that these are all the consequences of man's sin both directly I think AIDS is a direct cause of sin I mean let's face it two so, uh, people engaged in sexual con- uh, contact that God is forbidden uh, it's willful And they bring upon themselves oftentimes severe, uh, you know, medical conditions, disease. But then, of course, sin affects us indirectly. I mean, children born uh, blind or deaf or with some other genetic defect, the child didn't do anything, but that's still the result of sin, okay, Uh, and that kind of thing. Now, of course, someday God promises to give us new bodies and a new world, by the way, uh, where we will live in a place where there won't be any sickness or, or death. But until then, we have to live with the consequences of sin. And a big part of that is sickness. Now, God in his mercy will often give a person a healing from their physical infirmities. I believe that all healing, listen, all healing comes from God, not only the supernatural variety, but also healing through natural means, which would include going to a physician or a hospital to receive medical care. Uh, I'll just read this to you. You can write it down. Psalm 103, verses 2 and 3. Listen to what it says. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. Now look, I thank God for doctors, but they can only do so much. Do you realize that doctors can't really heal anybody? Do you, do you know that? Doctors can't really heal anybody. All they can do, and thank God for it, all they can do is provide an environment where healing can take place. Like if you break your arm, they can set it. They can't knit the bones together. They can't you know, heal it, but they can provide an environment where healing can take place. And that goes for anything that you go to a physician or to the hospital, uh, you've got a disease, okay, and, and so on and so forth, all right? I thank God for doctors, though, uh, because our lives would be a lot tougher without them, okay? But um, it is always God who heals us, okay? Oh, whether he does it supernaturally or does it more through natural means, like, again, going to medical uh, uh, you know, procedures and, and things, he alone heals us, okay? Now... Just as a little side note, I, I do believe we have a part in good health. We have a part in good health. In fact, Exodus 15, uh, verse 26, God said, if you diligently heed the the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the disease on you which I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. No doubt God was pointing to the dietary Uh, The things that the Egyptians ate, um, a lot of them created disease or brought disease. Like the uh, shellfish and things or pork contains trigonosis many times. All right, And so God was saying, if you obey my commandments, and I'm convinced he had the dietary commandments in mind when he said this. If you eat what I have told you to eat and stay away from what I've told you not to eat, then I won't allow any of the diseases that... Came upon the Egyptians to come upon you. So, obviously, we have a responsibility, is my point, to uh, eat right um, if we're going to remain healthy. All right. But tonight, of course, guys, we're looking at supernatural healings. There are many examples um, of God supernaturally healing people in the Old Testament. Uh, one example that comes to mind, you have to turn there. We won't have you look at it tonight. But out of 2 Kings 5, verses 1 to 19, remember Naaman the Syrian. Remember Naaman the Syrian. Uh, he had leprosy, but he had a little slave girl who was a Hebrew. And she told her master, Naaman's wife, if my master only would go down to Israel, there's a prophet that would could heal him. the wife heard this told it to her husband he comes in and asks this little gal what she was talking about what was the prophet's name was Elisha and so he goes down to see Elisha okay and remember the story he all the way down now he's a captain in the Syrian army he's used to people falling all over him with respect and all kinds of things so he comes to the prophet's house knocks on the door and the prophet sent his servant, didn't even invite the guy in, he said, my master said, go dip yourself seven times in the Jordan River, you'll be healed. Well, Naaman was furious. First of all, the Jordan River was kind of dirty. He said that. He said, we got better rivers up in Damascus I should dip in this dirty Jordan River. First of all, you know, he should, basically, why didn't he come out? Why do not he make a big fuss that I'm here kind of thing? Well, Elisha wasn't about to pander to this guy's pride. And so Naaman was furious and insulted. So he turns around and he's starting to go back home. And one of his servants said, Master, Master, if the prophet had done, told you to do some great thing, you would have done it right. How about this little thing? And so Naaman thought about, well, it makes a good point. You know. So he goes to the Jordan, dips himself in seven times. Seventh time he comes up, he's, the leprosy is gone. That's a pretty dramatic healing, right? Were there magical properties in the Jordan River? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It was to humble Haman. Or Naaman, I should say, to humble Naaman. Uh, you know, dip in your it's what Paul would later call the foolishness of God, which is wiser than men. When God tells us to do something to our physical to our flesh sounds kind of stupid, you know? Um Years ago, I went to uh, Bible college, and I wanted to take some practical courses. That I, you know, it's in ministry four years by that time, and I thought, well, I don't really know how to do a message yet. I don't, I'm, I'm kind of winging it. Maybe I take a course in homiletics. Uh, hermeneutics would be good, the science of Bible interpretation, so I can, I can understand these things. Yeah, you know, just a few practical courses. Well, I took one of the courses on homiletics, which is how to uh, organize, how to outline, and all. Uh, messages and and studies and things. One of the one of the um, assignments was for each of us to take a cassette tape. <laughs> See, our back that goes a cassette tape from this box. Um, they were messages by the founder. Um, I forgot his name. Uh, never heard of him before. Founder of the school. What a great guy, though. I mean, just listening to this one teaching, I thought this guy's got a heart for God, right? So. He talks about how he was. they had planned to go to Mexico, uh, like Tijuana or something, and just across the border, and uh, minister to Mexican people down there. And God spoke to him very clearly. Now listen to this. I'm really getting caught up. I forgot I was supposed to take notes outlining. I had to listen to it again. because I got caught up in the story, you know. And the Lord told him, before he went down to Mexico, he was to buy marbles. Said, marbles. Well, Lord, is that you up there? Is it marbles? What do I need marbles for? Go, go by the marbles. They cross the border, they come to this little village. Kids are playing on the streets, you know, there's dirt poor. And God said, Russell, Russell mead, Russell, take out your marbles and start playing with the kids. Took out the marbles, and of course the kids are giddy with joy because it. You know, they're playing with rocks, old cans, you know, shiny, beautiful marbles, right? So all the kids gathered around and they're excited, having a ball. Well, this got the attention of the parents who started coming out of their houses. To see this man who had come from America all the way down here to play marbles with our children, it opened the door for them to hear the gospel. I think like almost the whole village got one. He went back several times, it opened the door and he kept going back. I think before it was all over, like the whole village had come to Christ. The foolishness of God. That's why we have to be listening to his voice. Did Russell receive a word of knowledge? A word of wisdom? A prophecy? I don't know. You tell me. All I know is he obeyed the voice of God and God used it in a very powerful way. These gifts are important. Any so-called doctor of divinity degree hanging on a wall somewhere does not qualify a man for, or a woman for ministry. Okay, graduating Bible college or seminary doesn't qualify. It makes you a graduate, doesn't necessarily make you a minister of the gospel, unless the Holy Spirit is calling you in to that ministry. So, name in the series. Well, of course. In the New Testament, the one, of course, that we look to uh, the most to uh, see uh, healing ministry was the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn to Matthew chapter 12. I want to just show you the ministry of Jesus just for a second here. Matthew 12, verse 15. At one point in the Lord's ministry, he withdrew from one place, and a great multitude followed him, and he healed how many? All. healed all. And I imagine there was a lot of people. He healed them all. Chapter 8, Matthew 8, verse 14. Now when Jesus Jesus had come to Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother lying sick, with a fever so he touched her hand and the fever left her and she arose and served them when evening had come they brought to him many who were demon possessed and he cast out the the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick this was one of the hallmarks of Jesus ministry notice notice is a Jesus ministry okay Jesus had a unique ministry In fact, we read Matthew 8, verse 17, He uh, worked these miracles that it might be fulfilled, Matthew said, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. In other words, Matthew, if he's going to present Jesus Christ as the Messiah of Israel, he has got to show the Jewish people that he fulfills the Old Testament messianic prophecies about Messiah, And one of those was that Messiah, when he came, would heal the sick. Would heal the sick. That would be one of the signs that he was, in fact, this is the Messiah. That he would cause the blind to see, the lame to walk. He would heal the sick and so on. All right? Jesus had a unique ministry. He was the Messiah. We read in John 14, verse 11, Jesus said to his disciples, Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else, listen, believe me, For the sake of the works themselves. For it is they that testify of me. Jesus had unique power. Now listen. As God, he could have done all the miracles in his own power. That would have blown his mission. Because he had to avail himself of the same power we have available to us. The Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit... When he was baptized in the Jordan, Spirit came upon him and he anointed him and empowered him for the work now he would do as he began his public ministry. But Jesus only did what his father commanded him to do. Every morning, uh, Mark one thirty-five tells us he got up before the sun rose and he spent time with his father. And I'm assuming he got instructions for the day because he did some, some odd things. Uh, after he spent time with his father one morning he leaves an area where revival is going like crazy people are getting saved he goes into a very very small rural backwater area to minister why because the father the spirit directed him to leave this area and go there very in tune with his father and he only healed who the father told him to heal one of the classic examples of this i'm getting ahead of myself i think Well, I'll say it to you now. One of the classic examples of this was in John 5. Remember the area of the pool of Bethesda? And uh, there were all kinds of people. Some believe hundreds around this pool area. And the way it worked was every so often an angel would appear in troubled waters. And the first one who could make it down into the water after the angel had troubled him would be healed. And so Jesus walks into this area. Now he could have healed hundreds. We've just read how we healed everyone in two different situations. But he walks into this place. Hundreds of people laying around need to be healed. Walks over to one guy. Touches him, heals him. Guy gets up, and leaves with Jesus. Said, so "Why do you heal everybody? Because the Father didn't direct him to. The Father didn't direct him to." <clears throat> he only did what his father told him and that's why if the lord jesus christ was dependent on the spirit's leading as to who he was to heal what gives us the right to think like a lot of these ministries who believe that you know uh, you can have the gift of healing and heal whoever you want whenever you want that's not true that is not true um But Jesus said look guys if you have any doubt that I am not the Messiah look at the works that I'm doing. The miracles. They were prophesied years ago that Messiah when he came would heal. And if I am doing the works of the Messiah if I am giving you the words from God as the Messiah then believe me for the sake of not just the words I speak, but the works that I do. Uh, you know what, guys? Let me stop because I'm. I, I want to. I don't want to rush this, and I. I want you to understand, and I want to pick it up next week, God willing. Um, because it's true. At one point, Jesus did give his disciples power to heal diseases and sent them out. And before he ascended, it, the Father told us we would go out and. Lay hands on the sick, and they would recover, and so on. Yes, the Lord told us that, but you can't just pull one passage out of the Bible and use it as a standalone doctrine. You got to see it in the light of all the other passages that relate to it, which is why we need to, you know, to take our time a little bit, and we'll finish the gift of the gifts of healings next time and move on. But Um, Just so you understand that, that uh, uh, God still heals today, I'm convinced, and um, uses his church as instruments. But we'll see that a little more next time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word, and we thank you, Lord, for these gifts. Father, please work in our church that we'd be more open to the gifts, that we would use them, Lord, in an orderly way, uh, in a biblical way. That we wouldn't, Lord, allow them to be sources of entertainment or uh, badges of honor to see show people how spiritual we are. But that, Lord, we would use them in the right way, led by your Spirit. Uh, that, Lord, the body of Christ would be built up here in our church and we would be used by you in mighty ways for your glory. So, Lord, we ask you to keep blessing now our time uh, in, the, in this study of the gifts of the Spirit.